on this episode of Of Mechs and Men. Tor has a decadent dinner date. Grayson gets tunnel vision. But it's Nagumo who is truly shocked. Hello, this is Of Mechs and Men, a Battletech book club. I am Kanan Hill, joined, as usual, by my two good friends, Brent. It is me, Brent. And Aaron. It's me, Aaron. What's going on, boys? Well, I'm not in need of a hand, but it does look like Kavlovic is. (laughs) That's true, because this week (laughs) we are finishing... The book we have been working through each week. Mercenary Star by William H. Keith Jr. This is the end. So let's get into it. Chapter 36. We open with Grayson... Bursting through the doors into room six. This is supposedly where Lori is being held. And we see her, actually, immediately. He, like, bursts through the doors and he's like, what's going on? Remember, this is Dr. Vlade's room. And we look over and we see Lori is here. She's strapped to, like, this steel table. Of course, Dr. Vlade is there with, like, these two guards. And you're like, what's Vlade doing? And he's dipping a torch into this little basin of fuel because he's already, he was going to torture Lori and use her fear of fire. It, he, Grayson has arrived just in time. It's very dramatic, right? It's like right as he's dipping the, uh, the torch in and he like lights the torch. Grayson like reaches for his guns. Oh, it says he's out of ammo, right? It's like he would shoot him, but he didn't, he was out of ammo. And I was like, what? Really? <laughs> we did address the ammo situations a lot in the previous section where he kept like looking and being like these guys got rifles but we're gonna leave those grayson why are you like this why because brent this scene would have been much shorter (laughs) if we had ammo in our guns this is like rule one bring enough ammo or top off i don't know he did shoot a lot of dudes in hallways up to this but take their stuff dude (laughs) i don't know come on yeah, he doesn't have any ammo, so he, so we're going to have to rush them, right? We're going to have to rush, we're going to have to tackle. He just starts wildly kind of swinging his... Grayson plan B. Yeah, Grayson plan B. I think he hits one dude with the butt of the rifle and jams one dude. Like, he like he knocks out both the guards. It's very impressive. He does, he, he executes a successful hand-to-hand maneuver. He remembers the basics of CQC. He knocks out both the guards. And then, of course, you get it cuts over to Lori, and she's like, Grayson, behind you! And she's, like, shouting, and then Grayson turns, and Vlade, of course, is swinging the torch. <sighs> what Grayson, like, pulls out a gun, he, like, knocks the torch, right? He's swinging the torch, and he hits the gun, and he's like, ah! And, like, burns his hand, and the, the gun goes clattering across the floor. It's very dramatic. I love it. It's such an 80s, like, action scene. He, like, duck and rolls past blades, like, chasing him around the, the lab and stuff, swinging the torch at him and whatnot. And Grayson, he has the grenade. He has, like, a, he doesn't arm it. He has, like, a grenade. He just throws it at his face. Right? <laughs> he That's just what he's, throws it at his he face. He just throws it. 
It's so funny. And then Vlade, <laughs> he like Vlade, of course, like tumbles backwards into the table covered in like all of his instruments, all of his weird torture tools. When I read this scene, I was like, A, all of this gets a little unhinged. It's fine. It's a very cool scene. And I'm very happy that our goblin man got to die in a castle style fight with torches and hand to hand combat. And then Grayson just like baseball pitching a grenade into Vlade's mouth, which as soon as I finished reading it, I was like, maybe we shouldn't throw the thing that can kill everybody in the room at the very unhinged man. It's very funny. Yes. However, impressive for him just taking the grenade to the face. Yeah. Those things are heavy, dude. Also, if this was a uh, mid-2000s video game, this totally, this whole scene would be a quick time event. Oh, absolutely. Oh, the yeah. God of War knockoff version of this game. Yeah. Hit X to like throw unarmed grenade at face. <laughs> you see Vlade reaches back, right? Grayson knocks him into this table. He reaches back. He, his hands clasp around the neuro whip. You're like, oh, yeah, the neuro whip from before. Grayson's like closing in on him. But he does Vlade like, whoosh, whoosh. he comes back and he starts whipping Grayson. Grayson like has his arms up, but he's taking the hits. They're like cutting his arms up and stuff, but he he does Grayson. Of course, he just does. What do you think I'm going to say? Grayson like rushes him and just like hits him in the face and kind of like knocks him out. I guess that's what it says. It's like <laughs> yeah. he hits him in the face and then Vlade blacks out. And you're like, okay. All our Grayson evolution of like combat strategy and everything, we fall back to the tried and true. Run at him and hit him in the face, and it works. No, he didn't tackle him. No, no tackle here. But we know he would have if he could have. Yeah. So as soon as he hits Vlade, he like immediately cuts over to Lori. He's like, Lori. And he like runs over to her and like cuts her loose. And of course, we get the scene, right? And she's like in his arms. He's like, Gray, you're here. And she's like shivering. And of course, you get he takes the jacket off and like puts the jacket around her. And he's like, let me go get your boots. And he like gets her <laughs> boots for her. He picks up some guns. He gives her a gun. And she like throws herself against him and but she's like oh no and then it hard cuts to vlade is back up it's this whole he puts the jacket on her and they're like holding and then the camera pans over and vlade is there again and he's like ah and he comes back at him with the neuro whip right and him and he's swinging it back and forth at grayson and, and Lori is back she has her pistol up but she's like i can't get a clear shot you like see like the aiming back between <laughs> yeah you get the first person yeah, yeah, I can't. And then it says Grayson's like grappling with Vlade. Vlade has the blade like coming down. Vlade, Grayson's like holding it up like because uh, Vlade is like pushing it down on him. And that's why they're so close. Lori can't shoot. And uh, he manages to t like uh, he dodges it. He puts up his arm to block and like Vlade like slashes him. Grayson takes a pretty nasty cut here, though. He does. And Vlade's kind of like moving in. He's like, ah, I'm going to get him. He's moving in for the kill. He's going to like stab Grayson. And then Lori smashes. You just see out of the frame, just the torch comes in and smashes him over the head. And he's like, ah, and you see it's Lori. And she's picked up the torch and she smashes Dr. Vlade. And he like tumbles backwards, of course, into the fuel basin and knocks the fuel everywhere. And, and then like goes up in flames. And he's like, ah, and he's screaming. What a great scene. <laughs> My headcanon is that while writing this, William H. Keith was watching one of the many Bond movies that had been out by this time. Oh, yeah. This feels like a climax in a Bond movie. 
Totally. It's yeah, a- absolutely. I love it. It's it's oh. such a cool little movie. I I took it as like a one of the fantasy scenes that were like rife in the eighty like. Think of like Beastmaster and all that, where it was just <laughs> muscular dudes not wearing shirts, fighting in castle corridors, in caves. Yeah. This is what I, I see here. And I see what Keith is working with there, you know, having Lori come in in the, in the end, beat Vlade with a flaming torch, the overcoming the fear and everything. There, there was absolutely an intended point with it. And it, like I said, it is fun. There's nothing to really say, like, the, the book wouldn't be better without the scene and it wouldn't be worse without the scene either right but it it was fun and i was just blown away that this scene is like multiple pages of one fight on hand to hand which is longer than most of our mech battles in this book but it's true it's you know we get the big heroic save lori moment lori saves grayson moment yeah growth all of that is accomplished here in these couple pages the beginning of 36 they run out of the room he's like burning ah ah you get it he's like come on and Lori's like i killed him gray's like i'm glad you did i'm okay grayson's like i know you are i was like okay (laughs) like okay (laughs) they just have their dialogue together here it's very it's such a you know this this thing's on vhs i love this yeah they're running through the empty corridors they find the stairways back up to where grayson was all those prisoners earlier and stuff and now it's funny because there's dead combine troops like everywhere. There's like all the everyone's dead and they're like, what happened? And you realize that those prisoners did, they continued to unlock more prisoners. They just killed everyone. It's, it's just so funny. They just like cleaned the place out. So Grayson, he makes it. They're like, let's go through this door. It's funny. They like open it and they're like, what's through here? And they look and it's like the mech bay. And they're like standing <laughs> in like the back of the mech bay. And you're like, oh, yeah. There's like so many gantries. (laughs) Riddled with gantries. Like there's like, it's just like wall to wall gantries. It's almost like they repair mechs here. That Crusader and the Marauder are here. And you're like, oh, cool. And then of course, there are of course a bunch of soldiers in here because there is like a big battle going on. This is the place where the other commandos were like assaulting. They've come in. It's kind of cool. Grayson's slipped in through the back like accidentally. (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, the soldiers notice them and they're like, oh, you know, they start shouting and like, tuff, 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 you know, taking shots. And so they're like, Lori and Grayson have to immediately like get behind some stuff. Grayson's looking at the mechs. He's like, the Crusader looks pretty busted, but the Marauder looks all right. He remembers he damaged it. He shot that LRM at the cockpit earlier. And he's like, hmm, I wonder if they repaired it. Kim and Lori look at each other and she's like, lovely day for a last stand, isn't it? And he's like, it's like, it's, it's a weird thing to say. I'm planning on getting out of this one. Yeah, Grayson's like, <laughs> not quite yet, please. It's so funny. Anyway, he's like, let's, he's like, let's try for that Marauder. She's like, how are we going to get past these dudes? And he's like, check it out. And he has like two white smoke grenades and he hands one to her. And he's like, we're going to synchronize, throw them over these crates or whatever we're behind. And it's like three, two, and they both, and they throw their grenades and the smoke goes everywhere and they hold hands and they run through the smoke and they're trying to make their way to the Marauder. They're like, we made it. I see there's like a ladder leading up and they start climbing the ladder, right? And then as soon as they start climbing up, it's like, you hear the, the fans kick on. These like huge industrial fans, obviously, in this big bay kick on and like, and all the smoke clears. <laughs> and so all the dudes see them just like climbing up this ladder and they start shooting at them. 
I like that in the middle of this, Grayson's internal dialogue is like, oh, yeah, of course they'd have. He's like yeah. explaining to the audience, like, of course they'd have <laughs> fans <laughs> to pull out all the like stuff. As he's like, huh, that's interesting. Bullets start pinging off the, 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 the like mechs near him. <laughs> it's really good that they have those. Oh, yeah. It's really bad for me right now, but for safety regulations. <laughs> We should make sure that these are standard in all of our repair facilities. That's so funny. So yeah, the fans kick on. The smoke is clearing. Dudes are shooting at him. Grayson kind of pulls out his pistol, but he's got to hold on to the ladder. And he, he just kind of like unloads a mag, like just down there. He's doing cool guy stuff here. They manage to, they climb up. They make it to the cockpit. They get in the cockpit. The damage from that LRM hit is still present. The cockpit screen is breached. There's blood on the seat still. He's like, is that Kevlavik's? You know, and we realize, oh, he must have been wounded. Yeah, he mentions in there, he's like, oh, yeah, that mission where I shot the Marauder, that trap was so important. It, ha- it couldn't have been anybody but Kevlavik on the ground. Yeah. That to was one hit. the whole thing. Yeah. One LRM. One LRM. Yep. Cockpit hit. Brent, what are the chances of that? <laughs> you know, he rolled a 12. Yeah. So. <laughs> one in 12. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's a Wait, nice probability. So does work. that mean that you rolled a twelve on the you roll a twelve on the attack and then you roll for a critical location and you get the cockpit? Is that how that would work? So literally, the only way this could have happened is if the head was already damaged, because the Marauder three R has nine points of head armor and then it has three points of internal structure. Or he could have been playing with floating criticals. That's like, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. They just ordered that cockpit glass off Wish, so. Because at LRM5, it's like impossible to do enough damage. It must have already been damaged in some way, which is interesting. Oh, interesting. Interesting. So you're saying that in the tabletop rules, for that to happen, the cockpit would have already had to be damaged. Yes. Interesting. Advice at heat.management. Right in. What do you think? Is this, uh, this is, <laughs> this is so funny. I would, yeah, I want to do more of this. I want to ask, a, I would be like, how does this happen? How would this happen in the tabletop? Now, real quick, that's to so throw funny. Us back in there to make print search. Every time you take head damage, don't you roll to see if the pilot takes damage? That's true. I didn't think about that. And the pilot was damaged. The cockpit was not destroyed. So, yeah, you're right. Maybe he didn't have a cockpit breach here. Okay, Aaron. Okay. Oh, this is just an abstraction of what happens if the pilot takes damage, right? Because he did, right. he just kind of caught a bit of like shrapnel through the. Well, we know we took damage because in this scene, Grayson's looking in. He's like, "There's a lot of blood in that cockpit seat." Either, I don't know. Either way, one of the most useful LRM five shots that we've seen in BattleTech history so far in these books. Incredible shot! I just wanted to shout that out because it was one LRM. He could have been using some kind of specialty ammunition, which he looted from the Koreans. That is also possible. I'm not as fluent in special AP LRM. There are, I, there is like double damage LRMs. I think. L- listen, I've never used alternate ammo like ever, so I'm not fluent in any of the cornucopia of alternate ammunition. I know there's all kinds of weird stuff, so maybe he's got some special ammo. Anyway. You know, right in heat dot management. Anyway, Keith wrote it that this pilot was hurt by this LRM shot. Yeah. And luckily for us and Grayson, that everything else was still intact. Listen, it doesn't matter because <laughs> this is the scene where he gets in the Marauder, 
right? That's right. All right. We got Grayson and Lori. They're in the Marauder cockpit, dude. Yes. We're in a Marauder. They were like, oh my God, here we go. I'm getting like so hyped. <laughs> They're getting in. Lori's like, I've never piloted one of these things. And Grayson's like, don't worry. I have. And then there's this whole paragraph <laughs> that explains that he hasn't. Like, it's, it, it immediately follows this a paragraph that's like, actually, it was just a simulator. And the simulators don't actually simulate the particulars of every cockpit interface, right? It's more generic. But he's like, you know, I don't want to worry her now. But he's like, don't worry, Lori. I have. And then it's like, Grayson Carlisle had not. <laughs> Our favorite style Keith joke, where it's just the somebody says something, cuts yeah. a new paragraph. It turns out they were lying. <laughs> yeah. You get the Morgan Freeman voice. Yeah. It's, uh, it's so funny. And at this point, Grayson was lying. So they have a big hole. They do have a hole in the cockpit canopy. He is Grayson's like, man, yeah, because the dudes are shooting at them. And they're like, man, if I hope they don't shoot a bullet. Like, if a bullet gets through the hole, it'll like ricochet around in here and like really mess us up. <laughs> it's very, he, I was like, man, that's, that's like a good point. Very dangerous. He sat in the seat, ignoring the stains. He turns the power on. Oh, he gets the neuro helmet, right? He's got to put the, we got to synchronize our brain waves. He's like, man, I hope it's not keyed to Kevlavik's brain still, because sometimes they booby trap them and it might instantly kill you like an electric chair if it's like the wrong thing. He puts the helmet on, you know, and uh, luckily it doesn't kill him immediately. He has to do the weird brainwave calibration sequence. It, they always describe it. You get really dizzy. It's like complete vertigo, you know, like the worst, yeah. like car sickness just for a second. As it's like, do, and it's like calibrating with your brain waves and you're like, it calibrates with your equilibrium so that it, it helps the pilot. It uses its own sense of balance to uh, like stabilize the gyros and stuff. So they don't have to, so they don't have to do it manually. Yeah. That's something we got to talk about in the first version of this scene, which was in Decision to Thunder Rift with the Shadowhawk. Right? Yeah. It's cool. <laughs> I think it's interesting. I think it makes sense that it might not even be tuned to Kavlavik because well we get some idea that he's not doing great the blood's on the command couch yeah if you will. no i thought i thought yeah. the same thing and i was like that makes sense yeah. but then in that same thing where keith like makes a moment to point out like this could be booby trapped and i was like why wasn't it so i feel like this was a discussion like in the writer's room i feel like there's probably like some kind of correspondence with wiseman or something or like somebody at, at facet or maybe it was like an intent to correct it from the first book yeah when we talked about or, it or like a first edit you yeah. know well yeah yeah but i i totally. wondered about that i was like he makes that point to specifically talk about the ability to booby trap mechs for the technicians to say like nobody can just hop in there and we have to cancel out the codes to make it run when we're back in it and I was like, aren't we on like a planet where there's an, a rebellion with a bunch of unknown factors in it that could access these kind of things at any time? So it seemed like it probably with the pilot out of commission, as we're inferring from the blood on the seat, wouldn't it make yeah. sense to booby trap this mech? Well, see, I would actually argue it makes sense that they're, especially with the pressure that the GDL has been putting on them, the, the techs were probably like in a hurry. So much so that it's you almost expect to see the text in this scene like kind of scatter like ants as uh, Grayson comes in here like a wrecking ball. Yeah, it's actually I think it's interesting. Funny that they're not like in the midst of working on it when he bursts in here. 
Well, and, so, yeah, I mean, unless they unless they scattered at the first sounds of the alarm <laughs> and the explosion that happened. Right. Or all the other gunfire yeah. that's been happening for like the last hour. Well, maybe not hour. We don't know how long it's been, but yeah, that's true. Yeah, fortunately, <laughs> uh, it does not appear to be booby-trapped. It looks like uh, all systems operational. We're ready to roll. It's like, all systems nominal. He's like, hold on to something, Lori. And the marauder like starts moving. Let's go. He smashes through the gantry again. He oh. destroys. We get another scene. The long strides of the degenerated legs. Yes. He just explodes <laughs> this gantry into splinters. Again, <laughs> I love this. Another gantry lost in the line of duty. I assume that I, I assume that you just get one of these in every Battletech book. It's just a scene <laughs> where like a mech explodes a gantry. So the Marauder begins moving. And then we immediately cut back to Ramage and... He's down in the courtyard with his guys. Remember, he was down there with his commandos. They were having a gunfight with the dudes who were posted up in the mech bay, like shooting out of the big door, right? They were having a gunfight because it was this, it was two lines shooting. Mm-hmm. And it, it is funny because it cuts to them outside and they're having a gunfight. And then all of a sudden the dudes firing at them from the mech bay stop shooting for a moment. And they're like, huh, I wonder why they're, they seem distracted. You realize, oh, that's because that's the moment where Grayson's inside there running to go get in the Marauder. And so they were shooting at him. And he's like, I hope Grayson's all right. <laughs> Ramage's sixth sense. I think Grayson's in trouble somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the commandos currently, they do, they have taken control. They hold the courtyard. But half of them at this point are dead and wounded. There's only like 20 or so commandos left. And this is where Ramage gets a call from Clay on the radio, Delmar Clay the Wolverine pilot. Clay calls to tell him that a full company of Karita mechs have attacked the factory. Because remember, there's a factory outside of the city. There's a tunnel from that factory leading into the city. That's the tunnel the commandos took. That's the one that they bombed open to get in here. They were posted up at the factory to hold the back door open so that they could make their escape when they were ready. They were there as defense. Well, anyway, a full company of Karita mechs attacks this factory and they're like there's it's way too much weight we had to go in the factory we got to come to the tunnel and ramage is like no don't come through the tunnel because you'll just be trapped in here right they'll just box us in see ramage knows what's up yeah yeah he's like don't come through the tunnel but clay is like we have no choice like there's a bunch of archers we're gonna get crushed like literally it's either move or die it's just too much so ramage is like okay come on through so then the Gray death mechs start coming through the tunnel themselves on their way to the courtyard. So now we got mechs on the way. Yeah, eight LRM-20s is nothing to shake a stick at. (laughs) I also would be looking for cover. Yeah. So Ramage, he's like, all right, come on through and talking to Clay. And then one of his dudes is like, Sergeant, something's coming out of the service area. And Ramage like looks over at the mech bay and he sees the marauder like coming out. And he's like, oh, no. A marauder. He's like, I get it now. They're going to use this marauder. They're they're pushing us into the mech bay, and then they're and then they're going to kill our mechs with this marauder. And he's like, anti mech force, assemble. And it's like <laughs> these are like Ramage's dudes. It's like it's like a bunch of dudes run up with like inferno launchers, and they're all like trained. They're like loading the rockets in. There's this whole the elite shovel unit has entered the scene. <laughs> Yes, these are the elite shovel, satchel, rocket launcher, inferno guys. This is like the Trail One special commandos. <laughs> I we got to find a way to make shovel an acronym for anti mech 
Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that'd be so tight. <laughs> it says, he writes, Inferno launchers were among the deadliest of soldier-carried anti-mech weaponry. They were twin-barreled over-under projectors that fired 20-millimeter shells containing CSC or another highly flammable compound designed to ignite moments later. It's like napalm, but hotter and more viscous. It gives this whole a ravening sheen across armor, circuitry, and heat sinks. I like, he really describes, he, I, I thought this paragraph was nice. He describes really how dangerous the Inferno is. It's like napalm, but it's even more of a liquid and it gets everywhere. It gets in everything, all the cracks and crevices. It gets in the circuitry and inside the heat sinks. And all these dudes are lined up and they're loading Inferno rockets into their launchers and pointing them straight at the Marauder cockpit. And Ramage even, he sees, you almost cut to Grayson in the Marauder and he's looking down and he sees Ramage is down there and he can see there's a hole in the cockpit because Ramage is like, he's smart and he's like, shoot for the hole, the cockpit is breached. He's instructing his dudes to fire Inferno rockets directly at the hole in the cockpit. Yeah. As one does. Ramage is yeah. like, look at him and he's like, this Marauder doesn't stand a chance. Yeah. And the dudes are like excited. Don't come at me with a breach cockpit. Yeah. They run up with their inferno. They're like so excited. He's like anti-mech unit. And like the dudes run over and they're like, they've been waiting to shoot these things. They're like, yes. It's cool. I do like, I don't know how intentional this is, but you are going to take your like anti-tank and anti-mech guys. You're going to keep them in an alternate position until you're ready for them to make their hit that way that they're like tucked somewhere safe. And then they were like, run up, take the shot, and then basically dip out. And so I don't know if that was They're intentional or just like As how the scene was written, mm -hmm. just by happenstance, but I thought it's it was true. It's true, baby. No they... problem. It's true. Yeah. The end of the last episode, when we got the last Ramage point of view, he was like, it's about time for the anti mech squad. Let's get him nearby. <laughs> and these boys are just <laughs> chomping at the bit, ready to go. Yeah. That's it. The chapter ends with Mormaj being like, now, boys, take him. Take the shot. And it's like, chapter end. And you're like, oh, no. I'm sure Lori's happy about this. <laughs> She's real chill about Inferno launchers and cockpits. Oh, yeah. And I'm sure Grayson is, too, here, <laughs> staring down the barrel of Inferno launchers from his own team. Right. This is so funny. With the whole fire bit, right? We just had the thing with the basin and the fuel and the torches, and we were swinging. And it's like, he lights on fire, and we're like, yes, we got through it. You know, we had this whole scene with fire and then they're like, no, no, not yet. Like the whole fire theme. He brings it back in the same chapter. In yep. the same chapter, he's like, here we yep. go with more incendiary flammable weapons. I love it. So we've got this example and we're going to see one here in a chapter or so. Another example. But this is why having like a unit library is so important. And you'll see a lot of inner sphere units, they're going to have camouflage, but they'll often have insignias or other things or sometimes they'll outright not include any kind of camouflage and they'll just have kind of a coloration whether it's something more flamboyant for like a guard unit or just some like olive drab with flair here or there to differentiate units but i just wanted to hit it again because if something doesn't give here the fact that they have enemy livery is going to lead to Grayson and Lori's death. <laughs> and in a chapter or so, it comes up again. That's true. 
That's why for a lot of us, especially people playing the board game that have been into Battletech for years, it's fun to look at all the different camo specs and liveries. But so anyway, long story short, livery is important. Don't shoot your friends. Friendly fire isn't friendly. Ladies and gentlemen, I also wanted to point out that Brent seems to be wearing a Northwind Highlanders t-shirt as we speak. He's speaking of livery. <laughs> he's rocking the tartan right now. Brent, where did I see that's the new t-shirt, actually. That's, yeah. a, that's a hot release. I will say these t-shirts are pretty, like, comfy. Nice. I do recommend them. Yeah, dude. It looks great. I had to get the Northwind Highlander one. Yeah, he was rocking the tartan. I just wanted to shout it out. And he was, like, talking about livery, and I was like, it's true. This man's passionate about livery. I take my livery seriously. <laughs> At least we can know that if Brent leaves a mech bay in front of the Northwind Highlanders, they won't shoot him. But we'll find out if that's the case for Grayson and Lori here in the next chapter. Chapter 37. So Grayson sees the uh, Inferno Commandos running out with the rocket launchers and all that. And he's like, oh no. He's like, Lori, quick, undog the canopy. He says undog, which I thought was funny. Is that a, does anyone know? Is that a technical term? <laughs> Advice at heat.manager. I just thought it was, he said undog. I just thought it was funny. I'm sorry. I, I'm not trying to get us stuck. Look, he's, and then he's like, do it. He's like, undog the canopy. And, he, and she's like, I can't, it's stuck. But she's trying to get it. See, Grayson can't reach the release handle while wearing the neuro helmet, right? It's too bulky. It's got the big cores and cables come all chunky, snaking out of it. But he can see it's like slow motion. The commando is bringing the rocket launcher up. And Grayson is just frantically scanning the surface of the control board, right? And he's like, man, which button? Remember, he only has sim time. It, with the Marauder. He's, he specifically was like, I'm fine. The only thing I don't know is the specific placement of all the buttons. And then sure enough, immediately, it turns out he needs to recall the specific placement of a particular <laughs> button, which I thought was very funny. Sims don't teach you all the buttons, it turns out. I thought that's interesting. <laughs> I bet that as the technology increases, the simulators get better. I bet that eventually they do teach you all the buttons, but the commandos, they didn't have the best stuff. Does seem like an oversight of the Battletech universe sims. I mean, it makes sense because the simulators to some extent are like physical. <laughs> oh, right. Right. Because they have the sticks and everything. In the, yeah, right. right. Good point. Good point. So they're actually probably not even laid out like any mech yeah. in particular. Now, do we ever see that technology change? Because uh, yes. just asking in the books later on, because I know like what they're describing would be the equivalent of what we have for aircraft simulators, where we have like multiple steps of simulators where you start in like a universal simulator that isn't specified to an aircraft. Then you go into a specific aircraft simulator that mirrors all the controls. So I don't know. Do they ever mention that later on if they have those more intricate sims or if it's more of a just kind of afterthought? Yeah, the simulators get brought up. They do. They're totally a thing. It is common for them to talk about mech simulators, and they definitely go into detail in the future. 
Okay. However, I still don't think we really get anything where we get like a one for one where it's like, oh, this is a Wolverine cockpit modeled exactly, unless it's like something custom made. If that existed, if that was a thing, I would actually think you would see it back in time as opposed to in forward in time because we only get more mech chassises and variants as time goes on. And going backwards is really the only way you would get less of those, less to the point where there might be dedicated recreation <laughs> of controls. I'm sure they might be out there. Good point. There's also, there's a bit here, because you're like, why doesn't he just radio down if he knows the station that Ramaj is on? But he's like, because of the battle speak encryption, the different units have their own like encryption channels, obviously. And he doesn't have time to like turn it off or like change it or whatever. It's like programmed to this. It's all scrambled. They wouldn't be able to hear it. This is cool. We actually learned that they're using some like digital side encryption. They use some programming chip or some, some kind of like not incorrect nomenclature, but like dated way at looking at computers uh, because we are kind of in a retro 80s universe admittedly it is interesting though i would also assume that they're using frequency hopping which is where all of the radios have a time in which they hop between frequencies this on top of encryption makes it very hard for anyone to even potentially reverse engineer and figure out what is being said uh, it doesn't say it, uh, but I assume, because that's a very simple process, simple in quotation marks. It's very easily accomplished today, so I imagine that they're doing it here. We don't see that, though. I just wanted to talk about it. I just wanted to be a nerd. It's cool. No, that's because as he immediately realizes this, he's looking at it, and then <laughs> in the book it goes, Grayson gave no yeah. thought to any of this. In his mind's eye, he could see the commando finger tightening on the trigger, so he was like, too technical, can't care right now, gotta figure out another option. So he's panicking. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know what button to hit. He's like, Laura, you gotta get down. Get down flat. And Laura's like, huh, what? And he doesn't even have time. He just sweep kicks her. He like sweeps her down and knocks <laughs> her over. And immediately he smashes, he hits the big red button and arms the ejection system. And the little charges and it pops the canopy off. I love this scene. You just imagine, you see Ramaj down there you know, pointing at it like, that's it, hit it. And you see the canopy fly off and he looks up and it's Grace and he's standing up. <laughs> he's still got the neuro helmet. Yeah, he, you feel like he's standing, like waving his arms, but he's got the big chunky neuro helmet on his head. And he's like, like guys, shoot. it's me. Yeah, it's Don't me. Shoot. It's me. And like Ramage like runs over. You, you see this scene, he runs over and puts his hand on the barrel of the rocket because his dude's like lined up like, yeah, dee, 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 like got the lock. He's like, take it. He's like, no, like running, puts his hand on it. Like, it's all right. It even says that the, I think it says that the dude looks disappointed. You know, the guy goes, oh, yeah, he's robbed. <laughs> he was like, man, that's what I mean. They were it so does. excited to Inferno this Marauder. This is like crushing. <laughs> he's like, it's just Grayson. And they're like, oh, all the dudes are like, come on. And he's like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the quote in the text is, the trooper with the Inferno lowered his weapons with the reluctance of a professional, denied the chance to demonstrate his craft. Come on. So the guy's just pouting, just like, damn. Why did that have to be Grayson? <laughs> Grayson just like looks down at Lori and he's like, I think I know what you've been feeling all this time. You know, I think my parents died in a bit of a fire themselves. 
<laughs> Look, you can't be smooth all the time anymore. <laughs> Sometimes you still got to have a little crazy. hiccup from time to time. Lori, we're equals now in trauma, right? It's very funny. <laughs> because then you hard cut to Nagumo in the comm center. He's like on the phone. He's talking to Admiral Kodo. And it's like, Kodo's coming with reinforcements. He'll be here in a few hours. Sir, there's a fire in the building. Like, there's fire alarms going off and stuff. You know, firefighters are like coming in. It's so crazy. It's like, sir, the fire is spreading. We must evacuate soon. During that initial description too, there's one moment of like, Nagomu's still like doubling down on like that narcissistic angle where he's mentioning like Kodo's coming and where it's like, oh, things are obviously not going super great. There's fires all around him. They've infiltrated Regis. And he's like, not that he really needed Kodo's <laughs> presence, but he did not believe in things in half measures. And it's like, yeah, it, it would definitely help to have him here. <laughs> like, yeah. you don't need to disregard help coming in at this point. <laughs> yeah, bring in the spaceships. That's a good idea. Especially because Recall took a bunch of aerospace fighters. <laughs> Listen, there's a fire coming. All right. The fire is spreading. Naguma, we're not in his office yet, but he is looking down in the courtyard. You mean he's just being completely dishonest with himself and everyone on his command? He has another, we, you know, we have a Naguma moment. He's looking on the courtyard. He's like, the mercenaries, they should be trapped by now. The usual, I will use the tunnel against them, trap them from both sides. He's like, it will only be a matter of time before the gray death will die at my feet. And then Nagumo goes back to his office, right? He's like, I have to go to my office. Travels with his bodyguards, but he's like, you guys wait outside. And we get this scene. He walks into his office alone and he's like looking out his favorite window. I feel like he's got his arms behind him, you know, looking out the window. Yeah. Like we've seen so much and you see the same scene from before, but from now, from his perspective, you see the Marauder coming out of the mech bay, and he's like, is that Kevlovic's Marauder? And he's like, I thought, he's like, Kevlovic's in the hospital. He lost his arm. And that's when we're like, oh, he lost his arm. That was pilot damage, Oof. for sure. And the door behind him hisses open, right? And Nagumo thinks it's like one of his bodyguards. He turns like, what do you want? And it's a girl, black face paint, all black, everything. She has like a stun pistol <laughs> and a very sharp knife. And uh, you just see her, she, she steps over like the bodies of the bodyguards. And Nagumo is like, she looks familiar. Who are you? Do I know you? And uh, oh yeah, you know who this is. I like to think that it's like <laughs> his lack of fear is more from incompetence than it is from courage here. Where he's just like, what's, what's this person doing here? Don't mind me, General. I'm just one of the things you used once. No, wait. No, just wait a minute. Put that thing down. And then it says she's like smiling in this like honey sweet voice, just like wide eyed, just <laughs> like, you know, you, you really should be more careful with your toys, General. And she's got the knife just coming closer. And Nagumo, he tries to grab her stunner, but he's too slow. He just gets stunned, right? He's like, ah, and she grabs, she's like, Shh, and she like shocks this crap out of him. <laughs> yeah, she ties him to a chair. Sue Ellen. Sue Ellen Klein. She goes to Nagumo's office. She does this whole scary psycho bit. And she stuns him and ties him to a chair. And then it's just, the scene just ends with like her finishing tying the knots. And you, I feel like you see the knife like, but he's like shocked, right? The book is very clear that he's fully conscious, unable to move unable to scream and uh, <laughs> it just kind of like fades to black like transitions from there it was another 
Sue Ellen appearance. How cool! And is I'm that? glad I've stayed in her corner the whole time. I've never disregarded her and thrown yeah. her away, as many people <laughs> in this story have. <laughs> but when I did read this, I did have a question. Of <laughs> there was the point when the raid first started, when the explosion goes off, mm-hmm. Nagomu. Mm-hmm is specifically described as reaching for the gun in his desk and getting the gun Mm -hmm. and being like, I've got it. Mm -hmm. And then we get to this scene and the gun's nowhere to be found. (laughs) Like, (laughs) he doesn't draw the gun. He doesn't do anything. And then it made me think, like, why did Keith reference the gun specifically? I like to think that he handed the, he pulled the gun out of the drawer and immediately handed it to, like, (laughs) the nearest other person. (laughs) It was like, defend me. (laughs) (laughs) He's, but you're he's right. He's got like a rifle and he has to like take his hand off of it and take the gun. Like, thanks, I guess. But that was just one of the things where it was like, there was a specific line in there and it just didn't come up. It wasn't like he tried to draw it and she stunned right. him faster. So just wanted something I wanted to point out. See, I thought you were going to bring up why she was attacking him, who she barely really knew. And instead wasn't the one that was like, it almost, for me, I'm like, why didn't she go to where Lori was? Because that's where the guy that would have really hurt. Yeah, that or Vincent. What about Vinny? Where it was like, you know, Vincent, because like, I don't know if she ever, she only spent a very little bit of time with Nagomu, but we're glad she's here. It's almost like we took out Kavklavik. It almost seems like Keith was just like, well, we got to. Kill off the bad guy, cast. It's like, well, Kovklavik is out of commission. Blade got hit in the mouth with a grenade and lit on fire. Yep. So it's like, well, someone's got to take care of Nagumo, and we can't just have like a stray autocannon burst go through the building. So goes through Rolodex. Oh, we got Sue Ellen. <laughs> Sue uh, Ellen got beef. We got it. <laughs> no, it, you know, I, I do it's think, fine. Like, I have more problem with the gun than her going after Nagumo because I felt like. You know, if we were talking about it, if we're taking it and breaking down the idea of why Sue Ellen kill Nagomu, because I feel like the intention Keith was going with was we've talked about that narcissism of Nagomu the whole time, the disregard of anyone beneath him and the eraser of anyone. See, for me, the narcissism is the reason I was joking, but I meant like, I feel like he was too good to defend himself. Yeah. And to me, it was using that thing of like, oh, here's a disregarded piece of Nagomu getting killed by something that he just didn't even think about anymore. Like sure. It was just something he had completely gotten rid of. And then Sue Ellen went for like the head of the snake and took everything out and just showing like she's not worthless. Kind of a right. a retribution point and a redemption point for Sue Ellen. Totally. And even though she did it in the most unhinged crazy person version it's so imaginable because cool. she could have just been like grace and i'm going to kill nagomu and grace would have been like thumbs up great she also could have just opened yeah. the door and like kapow but that's not very dramatic yeah well and there's no way this crazy person was going to uh let him off lightly but I, like i said i feel like that to me was fine i just had that question about why the gun was specifically mentioned and then never brought up or shown in any way again Nagomu's gun. He just doesn't even think about the gun. Yeah. We've had Pavlov's gun, but now we've got Nagomu's gun, the gun that wasn't used later on in the episode. (laughs) Yep. It's it's the antithesis. (laughs) Why don't we get a scene of her killing Vinny? You know, what about Vinny? Where's where's (laughs) Vinny? That's what I wanted to know. I was like, what about she should be mad at Vinny too? You know? Vinny saw the writing on the wall. 
Yeah, Vinny ratted her out. I bet Vinny's dead already. I bet that the prisoners killed Vinny. I was thinking yeah. about him. Old Vincent Mills. Maybe she did. I like to think she did. In my head. Vinny was one of uh, Nagomu's men, right? And I think they specifically alluded to him being one of the SF guys, right? I don't think so, because he was a captain. They just mentioned him as captain, send him in at one point. Hmm. Because if that's the case, he might have shipped off with recall. Oh, yeah. Maybe he got away. Wouldn't that be so funny? If Vinny caught the last ship out. He stowed away in an aerospace fighter. And so Nagomu was just like her second yeah. like, shot at revenge. She went for Vinny first, but he was gone. He was gone. <laughs> Either way, we don't get a resolution to Vinny's arc here. So yeah, it does imply, okay, I just, I realized I did the whole thing, but in, in summary, we get Sue Ellen, the fighter pilot from the beginning who crashed and was captured. She's now returned. Then we have Nagumo, this villain who we've seen time and time again, every chapter. You're like, here... This is the Nagumo death scene, is that Sue Ellen returns and, like, kills him with a knife. I was like, wow. It happens off screen, but yeah. Yeah, that's great. So funny. Yeah, this thing just keeps going, though. We get that scene, (laughs) and then we get the Grey Death Legion mechs. They made it through the tunnel, right? Delmar Clay and the Wolverine. Remember, Khaled is in the Shadowhawk, the Rifleman, the classics, the hits. They emerge into the courtyard. And they, too, they, like, pull up and they're like, sir, there's a marauder. And they're like, what's a marauder? Mirage has to be like, hey, don't shoot. It's Grayson. It's cool. We get a little reunion. They're like, oh, Lori, good to have you back. Everyone sees that Lori is in the cockpit with them. She's like, good to be back. What's going on? It's like the Koreans boxed us in. All deployed to cover the main gate. So now they realize that that they're getting pushed, right, from the main gate. They're going to have to take waves from two sides. They're going to be attacked through the gate and they'll be attacked through that tunnel now. Because those mechs came, are like coming after them. And so Grayson tells everyone to take up like defensive positions in the courtyard and cover the main gate. And he's like, I'm going to head into the tunnel and I'm going to hold off this wave of attackers with this marauder. And he starts like, and he stomps back down into the lower level where the entrance to the tunnel is. So we only have two angles to defend, the tunnel and the gate. Just keep that in mind, folks, as we move forward here. They're stomping through, and then they start to go into the entrance of the tunnel, and Grayson's like, now remember, Lori, please don't touch anything, because the ejection system is ours, so if you hit it, it'll rocket us straight up. And she looks up and realizes that there's a ceiling. There's no us about it. It will rocket Grayson up, and yeah, but- she will be very badly burned. Yeah. <laughs> oh, is that true? I guess it is. Yeah. Just his seat. Yeah. They actually, I forget what happens, but there's something later. Later, later they discuss yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, it is very funny when Lori then looks up. She's like, oh, a couple <laughs> feet above us is ceiling. She looks back at Grayson and she's like, no, I want you to be careful of what buttons you're pressing now. <laughs> we call it a reverse Larison. <laughs> yeah. So Grayson's in the Marauder, like, just like posted up in the tunnel. And he's like, hold on. I hear him coming. And you hear, like, mech sounds down the hallway. It says that. It's like, Grayson hears mech sounds. And he's like, can't mistake them mech sounds. I know when I hear them. <laughs> nope. like, okay. Who amongst us don't know when we <laughs> hear mech like, sounds? And he's like, Laura, you got to get down. Because without the canopy, you'll get irradiated, basically. He's like, I'm about to start shooting these PPCs. And you're like, oh, yeah. They're in this enclosed space with no canopy. And they're about to start shooting PPCs. 
<laughs> and you're like, oh, that's a, that is like a problem. She's like, you're not going to shoot those in here, are you? And he's like, heck yeah, I'm going to shoot these things in here. And he waits. <laughs> this definitely will never come back up ever again. Yeah, probably not. Because he's kind of like posted up right near like the tunnel entrance. And he hears the mechs getting closer and he steps out and like, and he's like fires his PPC. And he's like squinting his eyes, you know, so he doesn't. And he like hits, he sees, he like hits a centurion. And he's kind of opening and closing his eyes. And as he's firing, he's like alternating shooting the PPCs at this centurion while he's like opening and closing his eyes. He's like alternating his eyes. He's channeling his inner Clint Eastwood. Yeah, it's very disorienting. But he is, he's like shooting the lasers and the PPCs. He's just hammering this group of mechs, though. It is cool. He's just like, ah. He just keeps the triggers down. The combine pilots are very confused. They're like, oh, God, it's Pete. Like, they are getting rocked by PPCs from out of, like, the tunnel's entrance. Yeah, every shot's taking a point off Grayson's vision. Yeah. It's a bold plan, God. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see if it pays off. Yeah, he gets a call from Amash. He's like, Grayson, they're coming through the gate. At least eight mechs coming through. And then Grayson's just like, all right, Laurie, get down again. Steps back out, and he hits this archer. And because it's this big thing, the dude falls over. And the tunnel is temporarily blocked because of that archer falling over. It kind of like blocks his buddies in. Yeah, it falls on top of the stinger that was in there. Yeah, I was about to say, it falls onto a stinger. There's a whole like little curb your enthusiasm domino effect that happens there. So those combine mechs start to pull back. They're like, all right, hold on. Let's take a second here. We're getting, we're, we're kind of kind of getting messed up. Grayson starts taking the Marauder like back up the ramp. He's like, all right, let's support him in the courtyard. And then the Archer like explodes and like the tunnel collapses. One of the mechs explode. It doesn't mention it's the Archer since Grayson's outside of it, but it just says uh, an explosion rocked the tunnel behind them as a damaged mech exploded. If we're talking about raw ammunition to go off, it's probably the Archer. Yeah. That would be my bet. But yeah, Grayson's like, damn, that was our way out though. This chapter just ends with the Gray Death was now trapped inside the university courtyard. Well, I mean, kind of. I mean, they have the forces outside the gates, but they still have the gate to get out of. Yeah. I don't know. For me, it was hard to like follow. Nowhere near as hard to follow as the ending of Decision at Thunder Rift. And not that this is the ending, but mostly because I was like, why? I guess we're going to get into that, though. Yes. Because I had the same question. The Draconis Tunnel Plan. They'll never expect Tunnel. They'll never expect Tunnel, except everyone did. We've got our Grey Death Legion had come up the tunnel. And the whole time I was like, why are the Curetans going through the tunnel? Through the choke point. Through the choke point into the held position. The like common denominator of like how to like fend off superior numerical forces this isn't new tactics ladies and gentlemen this is tactics dating back as far as mankind started throwing and beating each other with sticks choke points were used to like fend off superior numbers yeah it's like in the art of war right next to the section where it's like throw bigger rocks yeah there's don't go into (laughs) choke points yeah don't be baited into choke points but they just they send all those mechs that routed them up the tunnel And it was just like one mech, because it's a choke point, was able to just start knocking these guys over. They kind of weeble wobble until they fall down and then explode, sealing off the tunnel and probably destroying what was ever in there. I'm sure they weren't able to get out there very quick. And this was Nagomu's plan. Yes. Yeah, to follow them into the tunnel. 
And admittedly, he wasn't expecting the Marauder. Oh, except, wait, except his vantage point, he was able to see the Marauder. He only had just saw it. He was standing at his window, arms behind his back as normal. And he's like, look at that Marauder. Oh, who are you? Okay, that's a little bit more forgivable. So he was wanting them to hurry through. That makes a little bit more sense. But my my thought was, like, wouldn't you just blow the tunnel, removing an entire, like, you could take all those mechs that are at the factory and swing them around to the front gate, their only other point, and then the tunnel is completely out of play. And then you could, like, literally just take some bruiser and put him in the tunnel to, like, keep them there. Uh, yeah. Or wait till they start pushing through the tunnel and do exactly what Grayson does to them. Yeah. Oh, and then you have a charge in there ready to blow as soon as you see him and route it in the middle of the tunnel and you blow it. But you don't put the archer in there, though. Yes, that was the other thing. I have the archer specifically highlighted as, like, of all the mechs to play tunnel games with, the archer is not the mech I would have sent in there. I mean, who no. amongst us have not wanted a fisticuff with an archer? It does have those hand actuators. I mean, I'm sure Grayson saw it and was like, of all the mechs I could see in this tunnel, I'm so happy. It was an archer because those LRMs aren't going to go very high. Dude, they should have put a charger. <laughs> oh, a charger. <laughs> That'd be tight, dude. Uh, you can throw just about most other mechs in the tunnel, and it makes a lot more sense than sending a single archer down there with some other and medium and light support mechs all bundled up on top of each other till they fall down because they got shot with a PPC. He does some work with that Marauder, though. He's tearing them up. He does. He does. Uh, Grayson does exactly what they could have done if they would have made not the tunnel plan. It's sick. It's like this power. It feels like the hero got this, his new suit of armor. And it's like this scene that's just him just like, and just like PPCing the crap out of this whole like company. And you're like, yes, yes. (laughs) He's like so powerful now. It is a pretty cool scene. I don't want to dog on it too hard. And I even almost want to say shout out to Kavlovic here because- it does beg you to question if Nagumo has been out of the small unit tactics for a little too long, and maybe Kavglavik was kind of picking up the slack there, because this yeah. was a bit of a boo-boo moment. A little oopsie. Oh, yeah. Organizing all the ground effort, right. and Nagumo was just taking credit for the overall ideas that he was coming up with, because this one was a stinker. Side note, before we... uh route out to the uh the next chapter i'd love to see a like short shrapnel story with like the havlavik redemption arc we get him back with like the bionic arm i liked him i didn't you know that will get rejected Uh, (laughs) (laughs) please don't waste your time writing the kevlavik redemption arc story like 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 lauren coleman he's gonna be like no No. It's just me. I guess it's just, just, like, just me. It's his training montage as he's coming back <laughs> yeah. with the with the arm training to be a mech pilot. And then he comes and he's like, I could finally <laughs> step on another child. Or maybe he becomes like an arm wrestler. Yeah. Oh, the over-the-top shrapnel movie story. <laughs> They're, I feel I, I, I see them like passing around the office and like laughing about it. It's like, look, this guy did fucking 10,000 words on Colonel Kevlavik. The the guy who stepped on a child in the first chapter got a redemption story. 
<laughs> he, it's so fu- it, that's so funny you say that because Nagomu so such a psycho that I've like now transplanted like Nagomu into that role. I like forgot that that was Kavlavik. <laughs> that Kavlavik was a real terrible person the whole way through. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well. Well, Kavlavik might not get redemption, but we'll find out if someone else has the chance to in the next chapter. Chapter 38. So the courtyard gate has been blasted open. The combine mechs are pouring in. It's like this huge battle. Smoke, smoke wreathed the courtyard. There's smoke everywhere. It's very smoky. Shapes moving through the smoke, like lasers, PPCs, missiles flying around. It's very cool. It's very cinematic. The rifleman is like laying down the AC fire, you know, with the guns. The Wolverine's like crouched in the corner. Clay's over there. He's just like posted up, just just like gunning dudes. The Shadowhawk, Khaled, is in the Shadowhawk. He's up on the roof and he's shooting down. That's cool. I like that. He's, you know, he's got the cannon. He's just like shooting down at people. And then Grayson, of course, comes lumbering up from the shadows of the lower levels. You know, he's in the big marauder. Here, this makes everything a little bit better, right? At least this attack was a twofold attack. They weren't just sending dudes down to the tunnel to meet their demise. It appears now that they also hit them up top here at the gate. This makes a little bit more sense now. Yeah. When Grayson gets back to the courtyard, Ramage tells him that there was some mechs. They rushed the gate. They had this little skirmish, but there's this momentary break in uh combat he's like they're probably just testing us grayson's like all right well everyone get ready because they could be coming back anytime and like right away it's like dee, 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 like incoming missiles incoming and he's like Shin. and yeah there's like this huge it's this battle in the courtyard grayson like brings the marauder over alongside a building to try to get it into cover and this is where we have this scene where he's like all right like into the ride lori you got to get out of the cockpit And she protests. She's like, no, I'll never leave you. You need someone to work the radio. It's like, do you think I'm going to leave you now after all we've been through and stuff? And uh, he gives her a smooth line, though, right? He's like, well, you know, uh, I can't eject with you in here. It's actually safer if you're not here, because if you're not here, it means that I can eject and I'll be able to get out if I get in trouble. So Lori leans in and gives him a kiss. I love you. He held her for a moment. I love you, too. Now get. He says, get. (laughs) He's like, now get and mine the hot metal. It's pretty cheesy. I love it. Finally happened, folks. We got it. The Grace and Lori kiss. I was listening to this again while I was taking quite a long walk. And I like literally like hands raised in the air like, yeah, I was was so stoked. It has been such a cheesy romance line. It's been such a failure on all fronts at all times. But the moment 
they have that kiss and Grayson says, I love you. I felt like a proud dad. <laughs> I had that time where I was like looking as Grayson was my child and I just was like, oh, he's finally done it. He's a big boy now. And I've never been prouder of Grayson until this moment where he finally didn't mess it all up. He did use get though. <laughs> and when he says get, it was like, well, you almost did. <laughs> like Gloria could just see like climbing out, like turning back to him and just being like, just like, tell me to scram. Like smacks her on the ass as she's getting out <laughs> oh. of the cockpit. Like, now get. <laughs> now go on, get. Little Tolan's rubbed yeah. off on him. Now you skedaddle now. <laughs> get out of here. You go. You don't come back now. But it happened. It did finally happen. They do. They have a kiss. And they. Sorry, Janice. There's a very romantic moment. It's very nice. And Lori climbs out of the cockpit. And more missiles continue to rocket into the courtyard. Archer's coming through the gate. Grayson wades back into the battle. He's got the PPCs at full charge. He's blasting some archers. He's hits them with the lasers. Rifleman pulls up. McCall jumps in on him. He starts hammering the archers. Another archer rolls up. It's cool. One of the archers missile the tower where all the infantry are. The infantry like scatter everywhere. It's this, it's this whole thing. Basically, these archers come in, they shoot missiles everywhere. The courtyard has become like this blazing hell. There's fire everywhere. It's very unsafe for infantry. It's like this crazy scene at this point. The building's burning down. Or as our boy would say, PBI, poor bloody infantry. Oh, yeah. PBIs. Yes, poor bloody infantry. <laughs> PBIs, for sure. It's brutal. It's like no one, it's like, it's just mechs now. It's gotten too crazy. The whole thing is like coming down around them. It's like this crazy scene. It's sick. There's explosions everywhere. Lasers, missiles. The Wolverine opens up on, you know, like Wolverine gets in on Shadowhawk, joins in. He's up on the roof. They're all just like firing into these archers. Autocannon shells are just like yeah. pouring out of the riflemen. Grayson is out of... AC ammo, so he can't use the cannon on the top. But he's got the PPCs. He's hitting them. Double PPC to the archer. Archer twists and topples. First archer is still on its feet, firing missiles. Khaled shoots at it with the autocannon from the Shadowhawk until it retreats. God, this is just the craziest. A griffin, a wasp, and a stinger arrive. The griffin PPCs the rifleman. Delmar Clay and the Wolverine, he SRMs the griffin. Griffin PPCs the Wolverine. It's just so funny. It's just this scene. This Griffin shows up and just starts PPCing everyone. <laughs> <laughs> They're having a bit of a shootout. People are shooting at them. They're shooting back. It does. It's very funny. It is like, wow, this Griffin shows up and starts doing some work, though. It is funny. We get this little mini boss. They're like, somebody get that Griffin. <laughs> and Grayson like lurches forward. He's like, we got to stop this thing, guys. This Griffin is killing us. And who amongst us uh, hasn't encountered a griffin that is just, like, doing more damage than you think it should be? You're like, come on, guys. Somebody take care of this griffin, right? Uh, griffin's a good mech. I know Aaron has felt that heat before. Oh, many times. <laughs> oh, and this is where the griffin turns towards Grayson's marauder. Like, oh, this guy's going to get some. But he's, like, confused momentarily. He's like, huh? Colonel Kevlavik? And you realize he's from the same, like, company. Like, this is one of Kevlavik's dudes, so he's like, and then Grayson's like, no, and like double PPCs the Griffin, and he totally opens it up. He opens the chest up, and he cores it out with the lasers, and then the Griffin pilot ejects, because he hesitated for a moment. He thought it was Kevlavik. 
I do almost wish we hadn't already gone over the Griffin previously. The Griffin that Indecision at Thunder Rift is there for literally like seconds. It's like there's a Griffin yeah. coming up the cliff. Not anymore. <laughs> we had a lot of those mechs in these books. <laughs> The Griffin had it. The Rifleman, the Griffin and Rifleman have had their redemption at this point. Yes. We've gotten cool scenes with them. With both. The Centurion is unfortunately still in the I showed up to get shot and fall down stage. Oh, don't you worry. There's going to be oh. cool Centurion scenes. You want cool Centurion scenes. They're coming, buddy. <laughs> I have no doubt. <laughs> but for now, they are just bullet sponges that uh, fall down after <laughs> yes. getting shot. They haven't had a. They haven't made a good showing yet so far. <laughs> so, now that the Griffin's taken care of, Grayson, he's like about to shoot the stinger, and he notices one of Ramage's like commandos though, like planting a satchel on it. He's like, "Oh, let me shoot this." And he's like, "Wait, what's that?" And he sees the little dude throw the thing and like run away, and the satchel like explodes and the stinger collapses. <laughs> I thought that was funny. <laughs> I thought that was a cool little insert. He's like, "Oh yeah. Yeah. You see the you totally see a commando guy satchel charge the stinger and you're like i guess it is effective uh the wasp the <laughs> combine has a wasp starts shooting its machine guns at the infantry but then the wasp gets infernoed of course again one of the commandos just infernos the wasp oh the gateway is now like completely blocked at this point right now path a and path yeah. b completely like warded yeah because the the archers instead they like knock down more mechs it's all jammed up there's too much tonnage in the way they choked it. We got the Ramage rampage from his crew. Yeah. Where he came in. It's just like, we got the heroes. They do a little damage report. Our guys look good. They haven't taken too much damage. They're looking pretty good. They're doing all right. Mm -hmm. Grayson pulled the Uno reverse card. The Caridans are not making good choices here. No. And as we talked earlier, I think at this point where you can look at it, it's like, oh, all this stuff's falling apart because the command structure that was there is completely missing now. We don't have Kavlovic. Yeah. He's been missing the whole time. Nagomu isn't up there making any decisions. <laughs> He's having a bad time. He's having a meeting in his office with Sue Ellen. He's getting sued. <laughs> I'm sorry, everyone. They regroup. It's like, all right, damage report. We look good, sir. We're doing all right. Another archer comes lumbering through the gate, and they like, open up on it. It's funny, though. It just ignores them. It tries to take the damage, and clearly it's been sent in to try to push the wreckage out of the way. It's just like trying to push, like, eh. Yeah, everyone joins in. It's funny. There is this scene where everyone gets in on it. The Shadowhawk, the Wolverine, the Rifleman, they just keep hammering this archer, but it manages to push the debris enough to like open up the choke point a little bit, and you see this figure emerge from the smoke. It's almost always a bad time if you're the only target. Never be the only target. Yeah. <laughs> and the chapter ends with a Warhammer emerging from the smoke beyond the courtyard gate oh we have like a boss battle against a warhammer it's cool yeah it's a real wrestlemania intro yeah, moment it is it's like exactly it's coming down the ramp it's a warhammer the archer pushes out of the way and like out of this like grayson's like oh no it's a warhammer and it's got the big guns by god it's a warhammer it's scary because it has an enclosed cockpit and the marauder doesn't <laughs> Right, because we've talked about how they're similar. It even has the two, like, PPCs, just like the Marauder does. They're so similar that literally fans have been having an argument about who's the better mech since Battle Droids. Since Battle Droids. Yeah, we talked about that on a previous episode about this long-standing right. rivalry between the Warhammer and the Marauder. 
I think even somewhat recently, Tuck Davion did a little... I think it was like a response to another YouTuber and which is better, the Warhammer or the Marauder. So, you know, it's not the most terrifying thing we could see here, but an even match. And since we're out of auto cannon ammo and we have an open canopy, I don't know. It's pretty scary. Just have to find out who's going to win this fight here in the next chapter. Chapter 39. We open with Lori running through the smoke. She's running through the administrative complex. It's on fire. There are explosions outside. You can hear the battle raging. There's no one else here. She's like alone. There's a bunch of bodies and stuff. She's lost. Lori sees she's a woman struggling. Like she's like, who's that? And the flames. At first she's like, I, I don't have time. I gotta, I gotta go. But she's like, no, I should help her. It's very risky. She's in a lot of danger. The place is burning down. She finds her inner power, though. The rescue by Grayson has empowered Lori. Barriers have been broken. She picks up this woman and carries her through the smoke. She finds a door to the veranda, you know, outside kind of that upper level, like balcony area. She carries her on her back. So she like has to crawl through because the smoke is so heavy. And uh, when they get out there, you know, <coughs> and she flips the woman over. She's like, who is it? It's Sue Ellen Klein, right? How cool is that? <laughs> There she is. It just cuts to them holding each other like on the balcony as the battle rages on below. I was like, that's cool. Good scene. Well, and, you know, we had talked about this over the last couple episodes. I'm happy Keith wrote this scene in here about Lori finally doing what Brent has been asking the whole time, really addressing her own emotions. And I like that little bit where she's like, I'm not actually afraid of fire. I was afraid of helplessness. Yeah. Being... Involved with somebody like Grayson and all of this made me feel like more of a stranger and I felt helpless. Now that I understand that it's helplessness, I just have to realize that I'm not helpless entirely. I'm a skilled person. And I thought that was just a neat way to really address that and to come across that instead of just saying like, she's magically not afraid of fire anymore um, because she hit a dude with a torch. So it was a good scene to have in there to really explain that off. I'm glad that we got it here. Although I do wish it was a little bit more of a centerpiece because I feel like this is some really cool growth out of Valori, but it's like, who is it? It's like, it's Sue Ellen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We save Captain Unhinged, but Sue Ellen got her redemption moment too. So, you know, she can join back up with us. Sure. So we cut back down to the courtyard where the Warhammer strides in confidently. It's this big heel entrance. It's a very boss fight, you know, cue the music. The rifleman starts laying into it. McCall. Wolverine is hitting it because he's still crouched in the corner. He's hitting it from behind. In from behind it, of course, you get the ads. The archer, a phoenix hawk, and another wasp roll in. It's just all these waves of mechs. There's an explosion from the tunnel, I think, from like the lower levels. I think they managed to break through the other entrance. And like there's another archer, stingers. Another Jenner. It's a lot of weight. Yeah, both these waves come in from like both sides now. And the Warhammer PPCs Grayson in the Marauder. He does some damage. And now, so the courtyard's totally clouded by smoke. Can't see anything. It's just like you just see the lightning and the laser flashes. Clay's in the Wolverine. He's going hand to hand with an archer. And like you get this shot 
the Marauder and the Rifleman and the Shadowhawk are all like standing together in the center, like back to back. It's like back to back. Army of two. <laughs> Debris falling from above. Grayson looks up. He's like, what's going on? There's like stuff raining down on them. They see the tower up there. The whole administrative tower is now like engulfed in flame. It's like burning down and like raining debris on top of them. The Karita mechs are like closing in. It's a tight spot. It's, yeah, it's a tight spot for sure. It's a tad warm. Yeah, a tad, it's, yeah, it's a tad warm. If it wasn't such confined quarters, this would be much scarier. But unfortunately, we've got the Jenner, the Archer, and the two Stingers in the tunnel, and it's like... The Archer, not the best tunnel fighter, and the Jenner and the two Stingers really need it to be wide open to really take advantage of the things they bring to the table, that being speed and maneuverability. And so while it's a lot of weight, it's not being exploited in the best ways. So it's still a bit of an even match, even though the Great Death Legion is outtunned. It's a dire situation in the courtyard, and we immediately cut over to Tolan Bersedwick never left Fox Island. And we get this scene <laughs> with Tolan and his boys. He never he's, went to the mountains. He's still back at Fox Island, right? Yeah, they're all there, you know, they're all there in the pickups. I feel like he's sitting on his tailgate, just like, was that right? He's thinking to himself, he's like, Tolan, you painted it as a matter of honor. But were you just mad? Were you just embarrassed? <laughs> Embarrassed of Carlotta. On his tailgate, drinking a Corona, thinking about Carlotta. He's like, no one respects me now. Or do they? Do they? (laughs) (laughs) So he's having a big think, you know? You hear the sounds of battle off in the distance, and he's like, maybe they do. And then you get this whole montage where he, like, gathers the boys up. And he's like, come on, we're headed south. South to Regis, and then we're riding to Regis. It's it's cool because then you cut over on the like other parts of the Fox Island property. You have like the militia with like the mechs, the Freeverthandy Rangers, and it talks. They're kind of like at their garrison training with their mechs, but they didn't receive any explicit orders about what to do. The rebel army, they'd been waiting, restless, confused, and by now they'd heard reports of Grayson's raid on Regis, and they're like, oh, why weren't we invited? Basically, they're not sure what the situation is. They're like, what do we do? And they're all in their mechs. And then Bersedwick's boys come rolling over the hill in the hovercraft, you know, and they just like go like blowing past them. And then it's like so inspiring. I I love this. (laughs) The, The music swells and like the mech warriors are like, all units follow. And then before you know it, he's got the whole militia, like the entire free Vathandi Rangers, uh, just come sweeping down on Regis. It's awesome. And <laughs> this was just as much as we talked about, like Keith addressing, having everybody address their emotions. Stolen sitting there stewing, and he comes to it and he's like, maybe, maybe I still can help. Maybe, maybe I'm mad at the wrong person here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and... I, I just love that idea, that scene of him sitting, you know, because as we've painted it, where he's on a tailgate and he's just like, oh, hell. Well, yeah, <laughs> he's like yeah. looking at all his friends. They all keep kind of like nervously glancing back at him. Everybody looks just as unsettled as him. And he's just like, well, get on the truck, boys. Come on. We're we, we going to get in there. And everybody's <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, 
we're doing it. And as they roll out, as they're just gathering like a 90s movie style where they're just roaming through the streets yeah. of Fox Island. Come on. More and more getting behind them as they roll up to Regis. Yeah. And it's just... <laughs> A great scene of the good old boys got Grayson's back. I was torn at first. I was like, there's not really any catalyst here, but I like that it was just through introspection. We get kind of this like redemption arc from he's like, maybe I should just help those boys. Maybe I was just maybe it was just all ego. Sir, I got something on sensors. We're picking up. a. Is that Freebird? Like, <laughs> it's like, come on, boys, let's go. We're going to read us. Shout out again to Tren, who yeah. decided to uh, give these guys the accents he did. It did make me love them <laughs> so much more. <laughs> yeah, dude. For Sedwick rules, he brings the whole gang. They're like, you know what? Never mind. We will help. You get this whole redemption arc. And they come pulling up to Regis in force. And it cuts back to the Grey Death trapped inside the courtyard, and the Rebel Column comes in on Regis. They split into two, and they have a dervish smash the gate open, even though, what, the dervish doesn't have any hands. It doesn't have any hands. As we, But it's must smash the gate open here, and the hovercraft pour in. And so Grayson and Kalad are, like, fighting this Warhammer, and the Warhammer is, like, Grayson's messed up at this point, and the Warhammer's, like, coming closer, and he realizes he brings the big guns up. He's going to smash Grayson in the cockpit. He's going to crush him. And Grayson's nearly blacked out, right? He's been like his cockpit canopy's open and he shot his PPCs like a hundred times now. He's like barely conscious. It's probably getting real hot too. Yeah, he's got, he's like burned. But there is, there's this awesome scene where the Warhammer is like raises its arms up and it's coming in for the melee and Grayson like, points the guns up and shoots both PPCs one last time and they like like hit the Warhammer in the chest and it blows up. It's this very triumphant, like he destroys the enemy Warhammer and more Karita mechs come pouring in. Oh, that's right. There's, he takes a missile, there's shrapnel comes to the cockpit and he's like, ah, and he looks and Grayson's like bleeding. He thinks he's going to die. He's like, I wish I could, I wish I could say some parting words. Lori said she loved me. Uh, I'm gonna, uh, yeah. And then like more missiles are like raining in on him and it's like systems failure, systems failure. It cuts for Thandians are now in full riot through the city, right? Everyone is out. Ev- literally everyone's in the streets. The blue coats and the brown coats, like both the, uh, every, all the soldiers, all the kind of stationed infantry, they all give up at this point. The mobs are too large. There's nothing they can do. They just drop their weapons and they're like, whatever. Like, we don't, we're not, they're going to kill us. The war theme of Freebird has made everybody too riled up. Yeah, they're shooting at protesters. It's this whole, it's like horrible. It's like there's a carnage in the streets, but it doesn't stop them. Like the people just, it's like, it it doesn't matter. There's too much momentum. Everywhere, the Karita soldiers are facing just these huge crowds of like these violent Ferthandians. The Mechlance begins to retreat. Like eventually they're just like, what, dude, we literally, we just got to go. They're like, oh, sorry, we actually, we have a, uh, actually, we're probably, we should be stationed. It would be better on the perimeter. We should go. (laughs) And they just start like pulling out. And you realize, oh man, that's the tide was turning for sure. At this point, there's clearly a complete breakdown of leadership. Uh, yeah, the only thing probably keeping most of these dudes in the fight is just 
self-preservation and the concerns that they wouldn't make it if they surrendered. They're like looking at this crowd directly in front of them. Each one's holding a Molotov cocktail. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. if we get anywhere near them, it's just we're just going to be on fire the whole time. Because they just keep throwing Molotov cocktails at people. Cut back to the courtyard. It's quiet, right? We're from Grayson's perspective. He's like, am I deaf? What's going on? He's just like hovering on the edge of consciousness. We just see Grayson. He's messed up. He's like kind of under the, he's looking up at the wreckage of the Warhammer that's still like right over his cockpit. And he's kind of looking around. It's all just like very slow-mo. And he's like, are the, are the Combine in retreat? But at this, his shock is beginning to wear off, basically. Which as soon as it does, he passes out, of course. <laughs> and a few minutes later, Ramage pulls Grayson out of the cockpit. You see Ramage pulling him out and bringing him down. And when he brings him down, Tolan Brasedwick is standing there. And like all the Verthandi Rangers are down there with him. And they had arrived in time and they pushed the combine out of the courtyard. And it's over. It's over. They have the high ground. Yeah. The battle for Regis. Yeah. The battle for Regis. They did it. And you know what? This whole chapter, this whole combat, because this was many chapters, including the ones we did from last episode, we're talking about eight chapters here of straight combat. But Keith showed so much improvement as a writer here, comparing this directly to Decision at Thunder Rift, which had very similar beats and very similar themes as we're going through it. There is some recycled material here, right? Like, yeah. not in a bad way. Like, I'm no, not no, a, no. Know. But in that way of he's hitting the same tones and he's hitting the same yeah. kind of scene setups, but without you getting lost in the battle for all eight chapters, I read this, there wasn't a time when I was trying to figure out where we were, kept things very grounded and kept things together in a way that you were able to follow along with it all the way through and added a lot of those points where each person, you got to feel the impacts they were making. So we don't have another Yaren death where you go, who? <laughs> But you, it was something that it, there was, it was very cinematic feeling throughout the whole fight, but with enough pauses and enough breaks to give you a breather to understand where we were in the action. Yeah, it is. It's well paced for sure. It is. I quite enjoyed reading it. I'm going to lie. I, I, I had a good time. Just to yes and you, Aaron, I agree. As far as composition at the climax and moving into the resolution here, Compared to Decision at Thunder Rift, Decision at Thunder Rift, spatially, it's kind of hard to track. And this is all... I had a little trouble with like the tunnel. I was like, which way are they coming in at first? I had to reread it a couple times. But I think that's on me and not on Keith. But everything else, at least for me, it was very easy to grasp what's going on where. But with the battle for Regis over, we're going to find out how the dust all settles in the next chapter. Chapter 40. It's two hours after the end of the battle. Two Corita dropships, Leopards, have landed at the spaceport. 
the spaceport is still held by the Combine, right? Because they had all their stuff there. In fact, all the remaining Combine forces, they're like trickling in. They're all gathering at the spaceport. It's kind of the scene of uh, all of them kind of trickling in and regrouping. There's Karita mechs everywhere, but it's clear that the Combine still has a lot more stuff. We see that they have a lot of stuff here, but they still don't press the attack. After they fell back from the courtyard, everyone just went back to the spaceport, and they're staying in the spaceport. And the rebels, they're still outnumbered and poorly equipped, but also they don't press the attack either. They don't follow them and continue pushing. Everyone's just, they're happy with the victory at Regis, and everyone's just waiting on negotiations. For a novel, not the most exciting conclusion to a very large battle, but I find it refreshingly realistic. You can tell both sides are tired. Yes. Even though they might have enough resources to go on fighting, that they've lost they've lost the populace war, and they're not coming back from that anytime soon. The rebels, they are tired. They've been fighting. A lot of these people are just everyday dudes and dudettes. And so they feel like they've won, and they have. And so they're not really eager to press the attack. It says here in the book, fight to the death is a grand-sounding phrase, but in reality, war rarely comes to that. Sooner or later, the two sides usually decide to talk rather than fight. I was like, yeah, that's pretty good. I think Keith did a great job of kind of painting that of like, oh, any further combat is just losses at this point. Nobody's yeah. gaining anything. Nobody's losing anything. It's just people are dying for a stalemate. And putting that in there, I think, really sets that tone for what we're going to see in Battletech combat. By this point, Admiral Kodo has arrived with this guy. So he's in charge now. And Nagumo has vanished mysteriously. No one knows what happened to Nagumo. We don't know. We never saw him. Maybe he, uh, I don't know. That's the official report. Also, don't forget, a few days after Admiral Kodo arrived, the first Tamar fleet appeared. That's the Lyrian Commonwealth, along with the Invidious, right? The Deimos comes down with him, and this is where uh, we see Renfred Tor. He's on Verdandi. He's here. It's awesome. Finally, this is the first time we see Rennie on Verdandi. He made it. I have a side thing here, though. Uh, before we get to our boy Tor, who I'm sure has been up to some great things, um, maybe a little too late in, in those deeds, but the first Tamar fleet, it's interesting that it's unit from the Tamar region. And I say that because this re region is traditionally of Rosselhagian descent, and there's some long-standing beef. I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir if you've recently played the new MechWarrior 5 DLC, but there's some beef between the Tamar region and uh, the Rosselhagians that goes back a little ways. And nothing comes of it in this book. I just found it a point of interest that it was the Tamar fleet that shows up here. Oh, that yeah. Good point. It does say that. It is the Tamar fleet. But with Tor landing as well, our boys back on planet, 
I see him like getting off the dropship, like finger gunning people. Like, it's oh, yeah. me. I'm He's back. Like, hey, You're welcome. Yeah. Hey. Is it just me? Or, do you guys see him in a duster? Like, a duster. or if I just I, he, a duster, he a duster. He, I, he would do it. That's how I've pictured him the whole time. I don't know. I see him in an old gambler's outfit. Maybe something a little sleazier. Yeah. Though. <laughs> like a car salesman suit. <laughs> but he's coming out. He He's waving his hand. Yep. He goes like, look at these five new mechs I brought for the Gray Death Legion. He's out here looking like Saul Goodman. We get this scene. Renfrator goes to see Grayson. Grayson's like, I think he's like, he's all wrapped up in bandages, you know? He's like, oh, I'm not. I'm so sore. I got burnt. Tor, like, he, like, goes in for a hug, but he's like, nah, I, you know what? It's okay, buddy. <laughs> no. Nah. And then he sees Lori and Ramage behind Grayson, and he kind of, like, shunts him aside, like, hey, like, like Ramage, what's going on? He's like, my man, <laughs> wait, hey. There's this awesome, there's this whole reunion scene. And uh, they're like, Tor, what happened? And he's like, listen, you know, I, I talked to Sal. I talked to Steiner <laughs> Reese. I managed to convince him. Grayson's like, oh, Steiner, you mean like, he's like, yeah, like that Steiner. Yeah, man, they took me to Tharkad and everything. Had an audience with the Archon and stuff. Had dinner with her. And Grayson's like, what? He's <laughs> like, Ex- excuse me? He's like, because it sounds like you just <laughs> said that you had dinner with the Archon. That's what it sounded I- like you just said. And he's like, yeah, man, it was tight. I love how cavalier he is with the fact that he just like, he's like, yeah, I had dinner with the Archon. Yeah, it's like so crazy. He even throws out a wink. (laughs) He's like, yeah, man, I was telling her about the mineral potential. (laughs) That sounds like a man way above his pay grade. Uh, Tor is never above his pay grade. (laughs) He's a hero. (laughs) Well, just not in this case, because he shows up a few minutes late. But not dollars short, that's for sure. A tour always arrives precisely when he means to. Beautiful. The fleet will help with the peace talks. You know, that's leverage. They've had enough war. He's like, Aroden's not going to like it. But then Devic Aroden is on the negotiating team. He's going to be the one to hammer out the contract with all these parties, all these conflicting interests. Very interesting. But that's it. The chapter ends with this scene, Tor reuniting with Grayson. Grayson, Laurie, and Ramage, which is, uh, it's beautiful. Yeah, I like how Grayson closes it out with, he's, Ramage is kind of making a joke, like, Aridin, huh? It'll be interesting to see how that all turns out. Grayson's like, interesting, I guess that's a word for it. Anyway, huh. whatever happens, it's out of our hands now. Yeah. You're just like, man, poor Grayson's so worn out and tired and beat up. <laughs> he's so tired. It's funny. He really did come out the hero this one, though. Not that he wasn't. In the last one, but you feel like everyone's earned it here. They're like just ready to go home. I just feel like Grayson was sitting in a hospital bed, like reading over the initial contract and just like, boy, this got out of hand. <laughs> yeah. I liked I like to see him talking to the Comstar liaison oh, yeah. and like, yeah, <laughs> looking at the old contract and it's just like We were supposed to train it? them for 180 hours. <laughs> But we accidentally won a war. It was like thousands of sea bills. Thousands yeah. <laughs> of sea bills. Like the dinner Tor had with Katrina was worth more than the whole contract. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
I'm sure people have paid more just to have an audience with the Archon. <laughs> does it describe who the Archon is in the book, or does it just kind of? I can't remember. No, no, no. It just kind of mentions Katrina Steiner. Yeah. For those who are unaware that are just kind of reading through the books with us here, the Archon is the ruler. You can think of her as the queen of the Lyran Commonwealth. Head of state, if you will. The head of state, if you will. Exactly. When your nation state is thousands of worlds, you're kind of a big deal. Yeah, that's great information on the Archon that expands out what we know about the power structure of the system. And that just leaves the Verthandians in the middle of a power struggle between those two. And hopefully they'll fare well in the negotiation. And we'll find out how the negotiations go in the epilogue. Epilogue. We open with the Free Verthandi Legion. They're having this big parade. They got a whole drum line. It's a whole thing. They have like a whole band. It's very cool. It's a big citywide celebration. That's how we open. It's like, a, you know, we're having a big party. We see the Great Death dropships. They're ready to go. Grayson, he's received a commendation, an award. The star of Verthandi. This is the second one. He got one of these on Trail One. Remember? <laughs> yeah, he's collecting medals. He got a medal. Yeah. The anti-Duke recall medals. Also injuries. He's collecting injuries as well. That's true. His arms are very tired from saluting. He's done. He's so much. He's tired of the parades, the speeches, the presentation of medals. He's just like, my skin hurts. <laughs> I'm so tired. Tolan Bersedwick and Carlotta Bersedwick come over. And you're like, oh, they got married. Oh. How nice is that? Also, she's alive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Also, she's alive. And Grayson's like, councilman? And he's like, we're grateful, captain. Our offer stands. You can stay and help us build. He's like, no, you guys, you, you know, you guys have been doing that good yourself. You know, I really, I, I should, I really don't want to. <laughs> I do feel like Grayson really struggled to find a polite yeah. way to say yeah. like, I absolutely don't want to be on Thandy for a second longer than I have to anymore. Yeah. I'm tired of working for free. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm a terrible mercenary. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Grayson sees Sue Ellen. She's here. She's lined up. She's, you guys remember Sue Ellen, yeah. right? She's staying with Thandy. She's found her place here. Grayson even, he released her from her contract. I feel like that was the happiest Grayson's been in a while. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I do wonder, like, did he pay her? <laughs> he just reached in his pockets and he grabbed a handful of C-bills. He, like, hands yeah. it over and he goes, I think I'm <laughs> overpaying you now. We were only supposed to get a couple a couple bucks out of this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she never told anyone what happened. It says that. It's like she never told anyone that she went and killed Nagumo in his office and now she's accepted a commission with the navy not only did she not tell anyone but apparently he's still considered missing to this day which means yeah. whatever she did to him <laughs> they weren't able to identify him or didn't bother no. he probably got burned in the fire right of course i also feel like grayson did no effort to push it like to, she was just like it's a mystery captain he goes fine 
Good. <laughs> Less paperwork. Thank you. Fine, then. Keep your secrets. <laughs> but she's decided she wants to stay and help them build their navy. Their burgeoning navy. Because they don't really have one. But they want one. Well, they want one because... <laughs> Because in the contract outlined, Duke Recall was like, well, we we have to at least keep the moon there as the Verdandians have no standing navy, so they have no need of it. I guess in negotiations, they were like, those ninjas on the moon are too scary. We want a defense yeah. force against them. Yes. <laughs> so they're like, we're, we're going to have a navy. Don't you worry, Recall. Yeah, because Grayson, he says goodbye to Tolan, but on this, he tells him, he's like, listen, don't make a bad deal. He has this whole thing where he's like, don't negotiate away something you've won. Bargaining is hard. It's a whole battle in itself. He's like, good luck in there. He's like, I'll remember. This whole thing, as I was saying earlier, it's bittersweet, right? And Grayson's sitting there, he's like, yeah, we've won, but it's like, you almost see like the Lyrians and the Combine just kind of trading spaces the verdandians hard ones and fought for freedom is kind of fading to the wayside as all of these deals are going on and while grayson cautions them you get the indication that everyone's kind of like a fly on a hot turd to like get in a piece of the action and you see grayson kind of just like opening the door on these meetings and just kind of like shaking his head and kind of wandering away well it's not my problem anymore yeah he wants no part of it yeah Yeah. he's just like it's all politics now and unfortunately that's where a lot of losses happen and yeah i think it's i I like that keith put that in there because without it it would have felt like more of a resounding victory but this really takes that moment for to make you think and sit there and go like for one what did the gray death legion win it's like they won like enough sea bills to pay for the gas home yeah and everything else is like oh we just had this huge war fought for all of this and in the end nothing's really changing you know the Verdandians won their freedom but it just it goes to show you how fragile something like that is yeah the moment there's a vacuum the great death legion planted that seed by bringing the lyrians here but i don't know yeah. i like it i like this ending I mm-hmm. like that it's just kind of, it just splits even. You're just like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. This is no more now. bloods being shed right now. But that's good. But is that going to be the right thing in the end is kind of the question that it's asking. And I think Keith had that here as a very important step to say, <laughs> just because you win a war from one side doesn't mean it's a good ending. Yeah. I think that's the, the key phrase here is that there's never an end really right mm-hmm. like yeah there's 80 you, books well, <laughs> i just mean like the war's over but nothing's yeah. over there'll be more fighting on verthandy another time yeah it it never stops i feel like that'll be an important point that we'll get to see through the eyes of grayson not having read the third book or any of the books that follow that's going to be a seed that he gets to carry through that keith is setting up for this franchise that it's not all heroic victories that lead to happy ever afters. It is the end of a battle. You're not kidding. Yeah. It's a means to an end. It's one planet through an entire system. So Duke Recall is here now, but he's arrived a couple days after the negotiations. And so he is in a bit of a difficult position. And because a deal has already been made, Admiral Kodo negotiates with the Verthandians and kind of he, he's negotiated a ceasefire. And so 
Duke Recall, of course, is kind of forced to accept it, at least for now. The peace talks are over, and the DCMS forces are being loaded onto dropships. And notably, they do not take any loyalists with them. Any Verthandians, basically the ones who fought for the Combine, they don't take them with them. Like They're like, no, you guys stay here. So this is interesting because it notes that violence is still occurring amongst dissenters. Remember that deep family violence that Tolan Bersedwick was telling us about? It's like that hasn't gone away. That war continues. That's true. That thing, it's it's been going on too long just to end now. They still got a lot of work to do. And I like how Keith kind of describes it. Now that the Cretans have pulled out, the loyalist factions are pretty much left defenseless. There's not much for them to work with anymore. They had built up off of that. So it really kind of turned into more of a one-sided slaughter of the loyalists versus the rebels on Verthandi. And it's another somber point that reinforces what we were just talking about. That's true. Also, the presence of the Lyran fleet being here uh, also forces Duke Recall's compliance. Uh, He declares there will be no further military action forthcoming. That's a very good point, Kanan. If Duke Recall had shown up and they were negotiating and, and Duke Recall's like, hold up, I got more dudes, this whole thing would be far from over. <laughs> yeah, but we have all these Lyrans here. And they jumped in too. They wanted to, they, they were in the peace talks. They bargained for concessions in mining rights. And Duke Recall's like, all right, well, I guess I'm here too. So he's like, I'm, my fleet will remain for the duration of uh, the remaining negotiations. And he also, this is where we learn a little bit about some of the deals they made. Recall in negotiations, he asserted that certain mining sites and their associated equipment, along with the naval base on the moon, which is a very expensive investment, remains the ownership of the Draconis Combine. And the Lyrians, of course, they make a deal. They offer to help Thandi develop their own navy, that navy that we were talking about, in exchange, of course, for some uh, lucrative mining rights down there in the <laughs> desert. There's some good stuff. They're like, you know, let's let and us. Here we go. Exactly. At this, Grayson sees this going on. Grayson just wants to go. He said he can't stand to see the big boys just come in and start carving up Thandi. Too many of his people have died. For him to even, he's like, I can't even do, I just gotta, we we should just go. We should just leave, actually. Mm -hmm. You really feel like at the end of this, Grayson's learned a lesson. Yeah. And it might be hard to see what that lesson is, even for us. And I think Grayson is even struggling to learn, to figure out what he learned here. But he definitely learned something. Yeah, he's definitely logged that emotion, that disappointment he's feeling here. And when I'm not so tired and I'm not so hurt, I'm going to be able to dissect that and really figure out what this means to me. But until then, I'm just too tired and sad to see this all going on before me. Time for us to boost, Tolan. I appreciate what you've done for us, Captain. We owe you everything. I'll remember. I wish you and your world well. Our goodbyes. Our parting farewells. The Phobos lies ahead, repaired, ready to launch. And most of the Legion, by this point, is already back on the NVIDIA. They've been ferrying stuff back and forth. So they're just kind of putting the bow on it. 
The Great Death Legion has grown considerably. They're taking the Verthandians. They also made a deal, though. They're taking a lot of those captured mechs with them. You know, they're like, you guys can have those. You know, leave some stuff for us. But they're taking a bunch of the stuff that they captured. It's still not enough to cover everything they went through and all their expenses and time and lives lost. But it's definitely a step in the right direction to assist them monetarily. Yeah. Having a few more mechs makes them a little bit more marketable, especially after pulling out the W for this one. I could, I could just imagine why I was depressed reading the contract. He's like, it doesn't mention anything about salvage rights in here. Yeah. <laughs> Here's my wiggle room. We see Janice Taylor is here. She joined the Legion, so she's coming with them. We see Lori's in the Shadowhawk. She's now been assigned to the Shadowhawk because Grayson has the Marauder now. It's cool. This is it. This is it. Lori and Ramage, they're waiting for him at the bottom of the reviewing stand steps. Lori touched the star of Rathandi on his chest and smiled. Ramage saluted, then pounded him on back in congratulations. Like, yes, yes. Grayson took one last look around the uniforms and the determined young faces and sent them a silent prayer that they would be able to hold on to what they'd won. Then Lori slipped her arm through his, and the three of them strode side by side toward the Phobos. Grayson knew he would hold on to what he had won. Always. The end. The end of Mercenary Star. We made it through it. It's a good book. The GDL. It's a good book. Yeah. Yeah. It remains, even under this closer analysis that we've done, this remains, I think, my favorite. We'll see if I change my tune after The Price of Glory, but this remains my favorite of the Grey Death trilogy. Well, I know I'm excited to get into the next book, because seeing Keith grow so much in his writings from Decision at Thunder Rift to Mercenary Star, it really feels like somebody, we were comparing a first book to like an eighth book of an author. I agree. There was a lot of development, a lot more understanding stakes and being able to put in those things, because we've talked about that many times, about how Keith is putting in more of this militaristic realism than other pulpy adventure sci-fi novels at the time were doing. Where instead of getting lost in all the tech or anything like that, he really went into the war from a different setting style approach. And this one, I feel like he hit those tones so much stronger throughout this book. I mean, that we have talked about that in almost every episode and where he has pointed out something or pointed out some of the loss and hardship and exhaustion that these kind of things can put into somebody. And kept that so consistent through it that even through our ups and downs and our conclusion and climax of the novel, we didn't just show up on Duke Recall Ship where he goes, I guess you won. Let's shake hands now. (laughs) We felt a very strong emotional tone through this epilogue. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely something being worked out here about Vietnam. Like, we've made allusions to it previously in other episodes, but there's definitely some parallels to themes of the Vietnam War and then themes in this book. Yeah. What a great third act, though, this whole thing and the the wrap-up. This is so great. I thought this, uh, you know, the, all the stuff we've talked about on this episode, I thought this book wraps up real nicely. I the, This whole reach, is, it's very cinematic. It, like, sticks out of my mind, this whole big battle scene. It's like this whole movie. I like this one. I really like this whole, uh, like the like the battle for Regis and all this. The pressure keeps up yeah. from yeah. like Nagumo's trap with the four archers in the wood line. Like from 
that trap onward, like the heat, you feel the heat the whole, the whole time. time. Yeah. yeah. And the other thing I think that really helps Mercenary Star is you've listened to us through this part. You've listened to us go through Decision at Thunder Rift and each week go through Mercenary Star. And in Decision at Thunder Rift, we riffed on Grayson all the time. We started riffing on him a lot in this book. But as that went, the more we started agreeing with what Grayson was doing and understanding what Grayson was doing. So Keith wrote such a good growth of Grayson through there that he really feels like somebody that you want to root for, somebody who's taking that time and more of an insert that you can see all of this go through and all the emotions and all the thoughts he's having. It helps you understand it more as the reader, where before you still kind of always in Decision at Thunder Rift, as you got to the end, you felt like he was still that hotshot kid who yeah. was so good at everything that it was just going to work out in his favor. He was a little big for his britches, too. Where this feels like even the things that work out aren't going to be the best thing for him. On the writing side, too, the combat, as in like the mech on mech combat, how what mech combat looks like, all of that, I feel is much more ironed out in this book. In the first yeah. book, it's there's there's some cool scenes. I don't want to, especially the stuff that's like on the ground versus the mechs. Those are those scenes remain iconic throughout mm-hmm. as BattleTech goes on. I don't want to take anything away from them, but overall, like the composition, the organization, the the like brevity of words and understanding like what's going on. I feel like all of the fight scenes in this book a hundred percent of them all they're light on their feet enough that they're very easy to understand but they also do a good job of conveying the like size and the what the battle looks like and the damage and the tone the whole kit and caboodle yeah and i feel like this is also the one where as we talked about at the end of book two in mercenary star where brent you kind of mentioned like that you saw me getting it for the first time And I do feel like uh, a lot of people might have that same moment of like, you really feel what Battletech is bringing to the table as a franchise set of novels. What, where this is going to stand out from other franchise novels, what's going to make this really click. And I feel like that's what you get to feel here. And I'm sure there's going to be other books along the way too, where that's even going to get stronger and really burrow itself into you as the reader that you'll have some of these books be your favorite books. I've talked with enough people that have played Battletech or been into Battletech. I've worked with you two guys for so long to know that you get far enough into these that there's always going to be a place in your heart where you'll think back to them when you're Absolutely. doing other things. So this one was the one that gave me That's that true. glimpse of that. It's going to be that one where you say, as we go on, as we get into the other series, as we get into the other standalone books and trilogies and things like that, we will have more feelings like this more understanding of it more very very cool literature on a big picture note i think it's interesting you know what's going on here we don't see realistic in quotation marks mecha action in the western world really at this time you've got like transformers and you've got uh the voltron oh yeah you've got all this like western mecca and it's and it's kind of just what toys can we sell but over in the east 
in Japan, you're having kind of a mech renaissance. You're having like Gundam, which leads into Dogrum, and a lot of these other like more grounded, gritty realism, anti-war, giant robot anime and manga, like kind of coming to a head. And Battletech is clearly seeded from some of those in the East, but through these books, there's kind of this precursor to Eastern yeah mecca but it's western mm-hmm. uh it's obviously eastern in origin but like this story is a very western story and and it's ahead of its time yeah and i i agree and i feel like there's a strong parallel to be made to when people in the fervent fan base that grew up watching star trek and things of that nature where star trek kind of took a lot of modern societal issues and paralleled them into a different universe so you could look at them with a different set of eyes, I feel like Battletech has kind of taken that in a different vein of saying, you know, we're going through a lot of militaristic things, especially at this time, what Keith has written about. The perception of war and everything had just gone under a graphic change, and people were viewing it from different lenses, and this stood as a platform to provide that insight. And I feel like by setting this up in this book, you kind of get to see its potential to do that. Sure. That's something I think that really caught my attention with it is like, oh, we're going to talk about a lot of deeper topics than giant robots shooting lasers at each other. Oh, yeah. So, and I'm here for the giant robots shooting lasers at each other. Yeah. But I also really like the fact that it does give us a way to really look at war differently. Well, Battletech, it does have its intersections with philosophy. We're going to run into a lot of interesting ideas that are like brought to a head mm-hmm. throughout Battletech. Oh, yeah. That's something I'm sure of. It's cool. It's one of its strengths that mm-hmm. it's able to like play with those themes without getting too muddy in them and also by, like staying light, but also keeping the giant robot action <laughs> at the center stage. You'll see. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But we got to save some for the remembrance. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point, Brent. What 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 Brent said? I was like, you know, this at the time these are being published, this probably absolutely is one of the best examples of Western like mecha fiction. He's right. There there wasn't a lot of stuff like that. I was like, this is they they were kind of doing something here for sure, especially at the time of their publishing. Because I was thinking about it. He's like, yeah, good point. I like that. Battletech probably was like the best Western mecha property at the time. I mean, there was, mecha was hot, right? Mecha was hot in the, like, coming out of the 80s, but it wasn't this kind of mecha. No. It was Mm -hmm. goofy, like, kid mecha. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is sweet. But there also, it provides that reason for what a lot of us were too young to remember at the time, but... Battletech was huge. It was all over yeah. the place. I mean, they got Jim Belushi out there doing commercials. <laughs> <laughs> You'll never forget that. I'll never forget it. But <laughs> no, it was it was all over the place. And I'm sure there's a lot of fans that were around at that time listening now. You know, you guys may remember all the game pod locations and all the Battletech stuff going out and really a fan base that had a heyday and the love for that. And that passion that a lot of people felt at that time had carried it and kept it alive for so long that it had its chance to come back. 
and we're seeing that. I mean, we've got the we've got the fan base growing every day and still to something where me and Brent started playing by picking up the box set over a decade ago and all of a sudden falling in love with this thing and continuing on with it for 10 years and every time we see something new coming out for BattleTech we're so excited the three of us are always posting something the others then hop in and start going to look at it and start ordering things and purchasing stuff it's something that you can love and it still holds up which is the really cool part and that's a good way to round this all out is that the amazing thing is for this being the literally the second book in the fiction the second book to be published, this holds up so well, even against all of the layers and layers of stuff that has been stacked on top of this over the years. It all still to this day meshes so well together. It's brilliant. It is. But we do want to leave some things here when we get into the remembrance next week, where we're going to have our closing thoughts, talk about some more things as a whole for Mercenary Star. Of course, me and Brent will take another shot at trivia and all of that so if you do have any questions if you have anything that you thought would make a good trivia question make sure to send them in to advice at heat.management but we'll be there covering it all next week and we got some new segments planned too you'll have to tell us what you guys think absolutely either way hit us up yeah we'd love to hear from you this was another episode of of mechs and men i am canon hill i was joined as usual by my friends Brent and Aaron, we would like to thank William H. Keith Jr., the author, the writer of this book, that we really enjoyed. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Keith. And, uh, of course, all the other writers and artists who um, work so hard to keep Battletech alive. We'd like to thank Catalyst Game Labs for being such generous stewards of this intellectual property we all love so much. We'd like to thank you, of course, the listeners. Thank you course we have an email advice at heat.management yeah if you have any questions concerns corrections especially corrections of course we are doing the remembrance next so if you have anything you want to say yeah please write in we'll read them and uh, trivia questions as they said you can find us on social media we're on instagram we're on twitter we are at of mexican men one word Feel free to reach out on there as well if you don't want to email us. Yeah, that's true. Good point. The DMs are open. Yeah, thank you so much. If you like it, leave a review, leave a five star, leave a comment. Again, thank you so much. This was great. Mercenary Star. We did it. You know, we read the whole thing. Thank you so much for joining us. It was a pleasure. Until next time. <laughs> <laughs>